So, Torin, we have a sponsor. Mad cool. That says that they appreciate the work that we are doing through this podcast vehicle. You know what else is cool is what other people are saying about Gusto. So give me examples. I mean, it's easy for you to say people are talking about it, but give me some examples. So Tom S. said Gusto has allowed my small company to offer big time benefits without an HR department. Shout out to Tom, but do you have more? Yes, I have another one from Station who says Gusto is effortless, which is how I like HR. Out of sight, out of mind, yet doing what it's supposed to do. So what you are saying is Gusto is more than a payroll provider. Absolutely. And Gusto integrates with all of your favorite tools that, again, makes life easier. Tools like QuickBooks, Google, and and many others. So if you visit gusto.com slash C-A-T-K, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K, you'll get three complimentary months from Crazy and the King. We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it, check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Been a big week. So let me just say this to you. Um, I'm sure you probably know the biggest elephant in the room right now happens to be. Uh, well, you know, that stuff that's happening over in London, that that princess and that duchess and that. Oh, yeah. You know, all of that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So but I noticed that you didn't put it down for us to discuss. So that suggests to me that you didn't, you weren't one of the 17 million people that caught the uh, interview. Well, I do have something about it at the bottom of the show sheet. Like I said, I didn't, I didn't cheat this week. I didn't look. Uh, So why don't we do that? Why don't we do this? Why don't we just start off a little bit with it? And you can end, you can end the way that you might have put it on because I haven't looked at our show sheet. Like I really wanted to be cold this week, but, but I was on a recording this morning. Um, and, and Johnny Campbell said, somebody on his team said, you know, it's a billionaire interviewing millionaires. And I can't remember how they ended it, but it was kind of like, that, that, that's, it's a little bit of a different issue. While we worry about some things that we can actually change, what what do you think? Wow, I think that person is uh, fairly callous, and we lose big names in our country and in our world every year to suicide. What Kate Spade, um, my favorite chef Anthony Bourdain, like just because you got money, just because you've got some privilege you don't know how dark it is inside of someone's head. You don't know what's happening there. And like, I think Megan is magnificent. Yes. We don't share the same set of problems, but she said out loud, I was suicidal. I had this gorgeous prince of a soon to be husband. I have a great career. I have money. I'm going to be a fucking princess. 
and she was struggling so badly and had no outlet to get help, we could be talking about a vastly different conversation if she hadn't had that conversation with her husband, if she had not been brave enough, and if he had not loved her enough to take her seriously. I think it's a big fucking deal. You know, you always find a way to... uh... (laughs) To to temper me just a little bit, you always give, and this is serious business. You always find a way to uh, to challenge me to think a little bit differently because no, I I I, I didn't watch it. Uh, I'm not a person who subscribes to so, and, and this is not just now. I didn't watch the wedding when it happened. Uh, you know, I know folks that got dressed up. They actually went out and bought <laughs> and ordered special teas. Uh, I remember this young lady on the Sirius XM channel that I used to be on. She made a very big deal about it. Uh, and I was just, to me, it was like, okay, whatever. Um, so so I didn't watch any of it then. Yep. And I didn't watch it this past weekend because it wasn't really of concern to me. Now, I, 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 I kind of couch it in the sense of, I do understand what, she and Harry talked about from the Mm -hmm. snippets. I could understand some of the reservation and certainly you're highlighting the point about the suicidal tendencies, you know, but I thought about it for a second, Julian. I said, let's just change this thing up again. Let's, let's just roll with me for a second. Do you know the name Laura Lopez? No, no, you won't. Of course you don't. Laura, (laughs) Laura Rose Lopez is an English art curator and she's the daughter of Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall. Yes. Got it. So now I want you to imagine, imagine the interview on Sunday and it was Torin Ellis married to Laura Lopez, the daughter of the Duchess of Cornwall. Can you imagine what that conversation would look like? Just imagine if my my wife, Laura Lopez, white woman, is talking to Oprah and saying that uh, Torrance family treated her with um, disregard. I mean, just reverse all of that. Would 17 million people be watching? No. No. And I think so. This is an experiment that Chad and I have been doing, and I think it's interrelated. So we watch commercials and we have a little cheat sheet on our little dining table or our little table in front of the television. And if I see a commercial that has a biracial couple in it, I mark down if it's a white husband and a black woman, a white, you know, whatever the, the ratio is. And there are almost no commercials that have the black man married to the white woman. It's almost always the white man married to the black woman. And I think that there there's a lot of underlying meaning to that. And I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah. See, what I'm saying is that, again, first of all, the scenario would be entirely different. Because first of all, the way that I move is a little bit different than the way that like Harry moves. And I believe yes. truly that Harry absolutely loves, he loves Megan. And and if I were in that scenario, then I would absolutely love 
uh, Miss Laura Lopez, but see, Laura would have to listen to this. Oh, baby. Oh, <laughs> see, she'd have to listen to stuff like that when she hopped in the whip. You understand what I'm saying? And see, I rolled up. Now, if we took it the other way around, if if I was marrying into the family as she is royal, you know, yes. I, when I'm coming through the gate, and I don't know who those little guards are with the little red jackets and them big tall hats and shit on, you know, yeah. but if I come through the gate, you understand, I'm already laid back up in the whip. You know, the joint is juiced up. You know, black, yeah. black interior, black wheels. You know, my joint is like that. Fly. I'm coming through with Biggie. I'm going to stop right at the gate mm-hmm. and ask him. I'm going to say, look, I know you all protocol is you ain't trying to move. You ain't trying to smile. You want to be hard, but you won't bob your head to this music right here. I ain't moving. Yeah. I just know that it'd be, a di- it'd be a different conversation. And I think the thing that really, it really, is. really, really drives me crazy is the amount of the amount of surprise that people operated with this week. Like, I'm surprised that someone would ask about the color of her baby or their baby the amount of protectionism that some people wanted to exhibit around the monarchy. That's the reason why I can't get caught up in those, those types of discussions. Because for me, it's like, yo, you're surprised that people are in some ways shallow, that they practice colorism, that they could possibly be racist, that we are, putting these individuals on a pedestal. Like I love president Obama. Yes. But I ain't putting that cat on no pedestal. Yeah. Whereas I would like literally put him on a pedestal. I understand. I get it. And that's what I'm, (laughs) but that's what I'm critiquing. And and so, but, but I do appreciate how you highlighted that strand out of what it was. And that was something serious and not minimizing the questioning around Archie's skin tone, you did pull a strand out that kind of tempered me a little bit. I appreciate her bravery, the fact that she was willing to tell her husband that he was supportive and that they were able to move to a scenario where hopefully they feel a bit more safe and she doesn't have those, you know, those types of thoughts. So I thank you for that. So let me ask you a question that actually just reminded me what you said. I was watching um, MSNBC this morning. Um, Morning Joe is what we watch in the morning. And they had the chief data officer from, I think it's called Open Labs. And it's basically like a survey data compilation company. And they were talking about how, we'll say, white progressives, white liberals have are much more likely to identify a problem with racism and systemic racism than sometimes black people will be and kind of the and I was like what and then he kind of elaborated a little bit more and said almost what you just said it's like we're all surprised we're like, hear this shit. And we're like, what the? Are you kidding yes, me? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me, I, I missed all that. But I thought I heard okay. you say that white liberals <laughs> that I heard you say white liberals would identify racism faster than not, who? not faster, more frequently, more frequently. OK, got it. Then then a black person may say, yeah, that's racism. 
and it really like boiled down to is like that everything still shocks the white folks and and y'all are like yeah no shit yeah and no. that's what you kind of just said to me yeah yeah and i don't imagine I, I i need to find that report because i can't imagine a white liberal identifying something as being racist faster than well i'll just use carlton from the fresh prince <laughs> Okay. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I my, my antenna is always up. I see it. I see it. But sometimes, and, and see, and for some people, that is an issue with a Meghan Markle, uh, with an OJ Simpson, with other people. They feel like you can get, some people have, uh, Clarence Thomas, some people have the ability that are black can get close. That proximity to whiteness is mm-hmm. is there for them and so for whatever reason they have been accepted they are in the circles they you know and so oft, oftentimes or sometimes i don't want to put a, a a measurement on it there is that tendency that they forget they don't operate they don't yes. see blackness they don't see racism they don't see you know uh voter suppression laws as being racial racial they don't see that you know they see okay what did you see that in georgia Yes. Yes, I saw that. If you, have some, if you hand somebody water or food. Yep. yep. So yep. so I get it. So so I'd have to see the study because that to me is already, you know, I'm I'm my my antenna goes up like, uh, nah, I don't I don't know too many white folks that see, you know, these issues quicker than I'm gonna see them. So and And the one other thing he said that I think is that black Republicans, if we're kind of sticking on that, are more likely to say that something is racist, but still support the person or policy because they just sort of assume everything is racist. So they're still just going to make a good financial decision for them. Like, and I'm probably mucking it up, but it was like. Unless you are really and I don't I'm not going to use a pejorative on you, Jay, because, you know, you're my pod partner, but <laughs> I can't imagine you messing it up that much. I, I mean, you're probably giving me the synopsis of it and I can't. No, I don't see black Republicans as absolutely recognizing racism, but totally supporting the racist. I'm sorry, the Republican. I probably had it right. The Republican Party. Um, because it's it it has financial benefit. I I don't imagine I don't imagine a Tim Scott uh, ignoring the things that would happen or could possibly happen to him or Vernon whatever that guy's name is Vernon somebody these days. Uh, I can't imagine Colin Powell yeah. and Condoleezza Rice and these are people that you know um um what what's the guy's name from the back of the day? Oh man, I can't remember his name. I don't imagine these individuals saying that things are heavily skewed racist, but I'm going to still vote Republicans because of their conservative values. You know, there was someone who called in on radio uh, the other day, literally true story. He expat. He lives in the Bahamas. The Bahamas is what? 90, 95 percent black. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think we both agree that for the most part, if you go down to the Bahamas, you gonna see a whole lot of folks that's they got some dark hue. He said, yes. for the most part, 
the country is actually, there's a large part, large contingency that's Republican, conservative. So yeah. what he was saying was that he said, you cannot, and he said, and we don't have any problem voting conservative values down in the Bahamas. He said, the issue that I believe, and he's talking, looking back to the U.S., he said, the issue that I believe is the problem is that the Republican Party wants to absolutely ignore race, period. They don't want okay. it to be a part of the consideration. And because they operate in that way, they lose the support of black people. And I absolutely believe that. Like okay. if you didn't stand on, you know, a table and try to do voter suppression laws. Uh, did you see the joint in Texas? If you get an abortion, oh, yes. you get the death penalty. Death mm -hmm. penalty. Yeah. And they're just doing that. So it, they know it breaks federal law. They have to take it to the court so they can try to overturn Roe v. Wade. That's what's happening. There are probably at least a half a dozen other states that are working towards the same thing. Let's get into some quick news. Um, thanks yes. for coming over me. Let me get a little bit of biggie in there and allow me to imagine myself being married to the Duchess of Cornwall's daughter. Anyway, <laughs> Trader buys uh, $36 million of copper. So apparently there's a story on Bloomberg where a guy purchased $36 million worth of copper. And what he received in a shipment was Ooh. a bunch of painted rocks. So you can pull that up. It was just a fun story for me. And the reason why I actually put that one on there, Julie, not because I'm making fun of the guy, because it can happen to any of us. Like we do all of this online okay. shopping. We're buying things. Yep. You know, it, it can happen. But I, I brought it up because of two things. And this this was the seriousness of it. The seriousness of it for me was. There's a lot of conversation now going around around NFTs uh, and a lot of individual are individuals are trying to learn that game, that space of NFTs and blockchain. Right. Hold on. You have to define an NFT. Uh, let me look it up real quick. Let me look it up. Unless you got the the the, the time. I have no idea. So it's, it's, I can't pronounce the last. I mean, the middle word uh, non non-fungible tokens. I always oh. kind of mess around on the, the fungible, non-fungible tokens. It's a cryptographic yes. asset. It's part of the blockchain. Uh, yes. and, and a lot of the NFTs right now that you have circulating, um, in large part right now, Julie, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they, they deal with art. So it's yes. digital art, digital art. Um, but 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 there's speculation that the NFT application is going to. Well, it's just going to be on everything. Well, so much of what we know, maybe not everything, but so much of of how we live, work and play NFTs are going to to have a place. And that's the reason why I bring it up. Yeah. And I so I watched this weekend a documentary I recommend for all of our listeners called Feels Good Man. And it is about the the little Pepe frog. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh. That like all of the white nationalists and the racists and the Nazi Nazis use on like their profiles to indicate that they are racist and Nazis and, and anti-Semitic. 
it's the story of how the guy who drew it got this taken away from him by it it got you know taken up by the alt-right started on reddit blah 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 to your point that's where i actually learned and ever heard that first nft they called it non-fungible whatever um and there's basically it's almost like a crypto but it's not even that secure i i mean i I guess i don't like completely understand but people were like pepe millionaires and billionaires and it was just silly to me and they were buying art related to pepe in the blockchain it was crazy yeah so i don't know if you saw this but i I think the i think i'm accurate the the biggest digital art sold for like $6 million a couple of weeks ago. Did you see that? Oh, wow. No. $6 million. Wow. Digital. And nobody needs to go to Google to understand the word digital. I, if yeah. I can flip this camera around, I got artwork on this wall in my office here. I got other artwork on this wall. You see, I got a piece behind me. Uh, I'm not going to talk about mm-hmm. how much money I spent for the piece and the artwork. Mm-hmm. But I spent money. I got I got custom uh, lampshades that are done by an artist. I ain't spend that type of money. Yeah, I ain't spend that type. Six million. So the reason why I brought the story up is because I want people thinking about how is blockchain and NFTs going to impact how we show up in the workplace and how we are able to present who we are and positively, how can we leverage NFTs and blockchain for our personas so that we can verify, Mm -hmm. validate, and showcase our creative value and contribution to a marketplace so that we can maybe overcome some of the DNI challenges that we've had in the past. That's the reason why I brought it up. Okay. I like it. I'm sorry yeah. the dude got ripped off. I'm really wondering why he was buying that much copper. Is he a drug dealer? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but good point. <laughs> you found something about Burger King. I smiled when I saw that one, man. I don't know. Tell me about I mean, oh, do, you think, do you think it was blown out of proportion? Fuck yes, I do. Like, that okay. was so silly. Like, Clearly, right? So just in case you haven't seen the the Burger King story, they put out a tweet and it said, women belong in the kitchen. And make sure, but make sure you let people know. Hold on, but make sure, Jay, make sure you let folks know since we started in Europe, this was Burger King over in Europe. It wasn't the Burger King in the U.S. that did it. It was Europe that did it. Yes. So they threaded the tweet and the next one said, if that's where they want to be, women are vastly underrepresented in culinary schools and as top chefs. And we, Burger King, are creating this really freaking cool program to help promote women into culinary degrees and culinary excellence. Really good stuff, right? Of course, the first tweet was to catch your attention. And I swear, Twitter just blew up. There were articles coming out, all kinds of crazy shit. It Read the room, Burger King. No, it like they're doing a good thing. Let's not let the silly word or the joke derail everyone from doing good stuff. Like just yeah. 
completely crazy. You agree? I absolutely agree. I just feel like, you know, they were trying again to get more women involved. And some people would say, well, why do we want more women as chefs and in leadership positions inside of restaurants and, you know, hospitality related, um, you know, fields. I, I just feel like, you know, once again, kind of going back to that story we talked about where the person said using why you and, uh, you know, signing up for a platform is racist, you know, because they require three digits, yeah. three, three characters. I, I just feel like sometimes we, we blow things out of proportion. Um, and so I was with Burger King, you know, I saw the story and I was like, I'm not tweeting this. Like, no. I mean, what's the big deal? So yeah. anyway, a lot of folks getting taken advantage of. Um, but hey, we got a show to cover. So let's get into this week's show. Awesome. Can we start with job bite? Yeah, let's go. Actually, you know what? Why don't we do that? Why don't we uh why don't we uh put job bite in now? Because we got a lot to thank job bite for. Again, coming on as a sponsor in 2021. Supporting Crazy and the King in this our third year. Uh, they're going to be doing a couple of great sessions next week at HR Technology Conference. Great. And so, if you have not captured a ticket yet, highly encourage you to get out and get a ticket. HR Technology uh, Conference.com. HR Technology Conference.com. I know that Peter Clare is going to be doing a session, I believe, on the 17th, and Kelly Lobin is going to be doing one on. The 19th, Peters is around data, if I'm not mistaken, and Kelly's around some of the tactics that recruiters need to be using. So really supportive of Jobvite. Let's throw a commercial in right here, and then we can get into the show. Really quick, before Torin and I hop back into the episode, have you heard about the new Jobvite? The social recruiting innovator is now the end-to-end TA suite leader, helping TA teams attract, engage, hire, onboard, and promote the talent they need to succeed. But built specifically for talent acquisition professionals, the Jobvite Talent Acquisition Suite delivers an unmatched depth of capabilities from AI to DNI, recruitment marketing to applicant management, new hire onboarding, employee referrals, internal mobility, all with next-gen analytics to help you prove the value you deliver to your organization. Whatever your recruiting challenge, Jobvite has a solution. Visit jobvite.com slash C-A-T-K today. Again, jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Now let's get back into the show. All right. So my story this week, Tor, is pretty simple. And it may fall flat. I'm just going to be honest. But I'm really curious as to your opinion. So this week, um, Wendy's, you know, Wendy's restaurant with the Frosties and all that good stuff, right? They hired their first ever chief diversity officer. Um, Beverly Stallings Johnson is going to lead global D&I as well as DNI for the franchises, which I thought was an important note. Um, it, she has an impeccable resume. She led diversity and compliance at IBM. She led diversity and inclusion for the city of Columbus. Like she's the real deal when we think about the kind of person who can come in and create organizational change just based on her experience alone. So that's one. 
And then Starbucks also named their first chief diversity officer Friday, so late last week. Um, Dennis Brockman is going to become the global chief inclusion and diversity officer. Fantastic. Brockman has worked for Starbucks for 13 years in operations. So he was a regional director. He was a senior VP over operations. And so here's my question. And well, let me, before I ask you the question, the one thing that Starbucks put out is, is they're going to be fostering mentorship and other professional development and amplifying and operationalizing inclusion and diversity within the U.S. business. So there's one distinction between the two, which I think matters. Um, But when we think about getting hired into a CD role, CDO role, and I want both of these people to be successful, I wish them well, what does it mean to you about a company's commitment and approach to DNI when they hire someone who is organizationally competent versus someone who is DNI competent, if that makes sense? It does make sense. And I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. And no, the story is not going to fall flat. I think it's a beautiful question. It's a strategic and valuable question. And so everyone is not capable of sitting in a DNI role. You know, understanding that most of the time in, in the past uh, and certainly even currently, uh, a lot that are, a lot of the individuals in this role are under are underfunded. Uh, they are mm-hmm. under resourced and they are yes. under supported. So, so let me, yes. let me hit that again, underfunded, under-resourced, and under-supported, if that's a real phrase. So what I say to you, Julie, in response to the question, keeping those three in consideration, and certainly there are some others, but keeping those three in consideration, am I an individual who has the ear of leadership? Do I have cachet with leadership? Do I have panache with leadership? Do I have the respect of my colleagues? Have I demonstrated that I can get things done? Have I modeled uh, a, a persona of being inclusive and representative and a person who cajoles Julie to give me your ideas and not give them to me so that I can take credit for them, but give them to me because we know that it's going to make the business unit and the department better. What am I saying? I'm saying that I think a person doesn't have to go through through DNI. I I treat DNI in many ways the way that I treat HR, the way that I treat uh, well, let me not say HR as much as I would say recruiting. The barrier to enter into recruiting okay. is extremely low. You got a computer. You got a great voice. Mm-hmm. Great. And when I say great voice, you can tell a great story about an organization. You can you can find people to talk to, mm-hmm. put the two together, get them a job. We don't need to go through some educational journey to be a recruiter. I don't believe that okay. you have to go through an educational journey to be a great, strong, staunch advocate for DNI work. I, I think that you can you can morph into it through your learned experiences. Does that make sense? Okay. It does. It does. And and I honestly I wasn't sure how you would answer that. And I think you answered it more diplomatically than I would have. Um, 
So in your experience, have you seen someone who, just because it's such a high role to bring someone in at the chief level who's never built a diversity and inclusion structure or operationalized that structure before, to me, puts the person at a disadvantage. But if you have had this experience, is organizational knowledge and panache or cred um, almost or just as, as important as the skill set of DNI? Is it, that's what you're kind of saying is like we can learn DNI, but you can't build those relationships that you've had for the last 13 years and all the credibility you've built into building your strategic operations at a company level. Yeah, no, I mean, you're asking a good question again. Does the expertise matter? Does the skill set matter? And yes, they do. But I think about it through our lens, Julie. Both of us are external. We are external resources. And so companies come to you and your organization and team and they say, help Mm -hmm. us build a strategy around people with disabilities. And you all do that and you do that exceptionally well. People come to me and say, Torrin, we trust you to guide us through through a discovery around helping us to identify the pluses and the minuses of our DEIB efforts. And, And I'm not a person who's gone through that academic journey. I don't have the corporate logo on my resume as in being a W-2 employee, but they are paying me. Yeah. Well, they're paying me because I don't do it for free. And I'm not the cheapest DNI consultant out there. I'm not trying to be the cheapest DNI consultant. But let me tell you what's really frustrating for me. And I've I've done this on purpose. Uh, and and maybe one day I'll elaborate on this. But I have actually applied for open CDO roles. I haven't done it in probably four years, but I have okay. applied for open CDO related roles. Let me say it like that, because it may not have been titled chief diversity officer, but it had something to do with programming and, uh, you know, it, it had diversity in the title. And right. do you know, I get back the, 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 the funky, uh, <laughs> chain email response. Look, you know, that dirty, stinky, <sighs> that dirty, stinky. let me tell you. And, 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 and let me tell you what's really funny. I promise. I promise. Uh, the CEO, I would never say, I would never say this out loud. And and I've kept my promise. I got, I got a uh, funky ass chain email response that canned will keep your resume on file response from a company. And they had no idea that I had a proposal under consideration to help them with their DNI effort. Damn. Jay, can I take, can I tell you how much money I made off of that um proposal? I, I hope you made a lot of freaking money off that proposal because you just showed them exactly exactly part, why they need you. Because part of the part of the issue for me has always been when I go into organizations, clients, I don't immediately call out or reveal deficiencies. Sometimes I need mm-hmm. them to happen so that they can then refer back to it so we can point to it. Because sometimes if you tell people that they're doing something and they don't see it, uh, it's a, you know, you got the uphill battle to convince them. So what I did was I dropped the proposal 
Then I went and I applied for the role. Then the executive, the CEO comes through and signs off on the proposal. And so when we had the kickoff meeting, I said, I just want you to see the message that I got back from your recruiting team. Uh, it was a six figure engagement. That's all I'm gonna tell you. It, it was a six figure engagement. Yeah. And he was like, wow. That's all, all he could say was, wow. So I just want, I, I, yeah. I stress that only to say, only to say, I believe that you can be a, an extremely effective, you know, DNI consultant, supporter of the work. You can be internal. You can step into those shoes. If you bring the experience, the skill set, the modeling, the language, you have that yeah. example, you have the conversation, you have everything that this conversation, this work requires. And, and if you have that, awesome. If you don't, then it's an issue. And, and if he doesn't, then we'll hear about it three months from now, six months from now, and we'll, 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 be di we'll dissect it in the sense of, was he a token? You know, was he in over his head? You know, we'll look at it then that way, six, seven months from now. But right now, like you said, like you said, I'm rooting for both of them to be successful. Yes, definitely something to keep an eye on. So Absolutely. since I uh, kicked our job like commercial in early, I guess we get to go straight to your story, which I'm very interested in. Yeah, you know, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but let me tell you, I, I just, I found it interesting because I really was going to cover another story around Google and they're advising, you know, employees that, that had issues with racism to go get mental health work. Like that was crazy to me, but, yeah, but then when I true. found this story, it was even more, uh, it was, it was even bigger. And so there's an article, uh, it's titled. Pardon me, 100 women in marketing share their greatest challenges from a year of isolation. 100 women in marketing share their greatest challenges from a year in isolation. And Julie, we talk often about tech. We talk about HR. We talk about legal. We don't talk about marketing. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about marketing. And so- Hardly ever. Hardly ever, yeah. hardly ever. And so, you know, the yeah. comments are what got me. And so some of the comments that that really stood out, one woman said, uh, I felt sad. I felt unable. I felt ugly. I felt alone. Mm -hmm. Another woman, she said she talks about um, being sexually assaulted. I had to stop. I said, how do you how do you get sexually assaulted over Zoom? Yeah. Wow. Like during a pandemic, we are all working under different constraints. Yep. And as a and and I don't want to read into it because in her passage, she didn't share. These, these are 100 women who gave their comments. You can read them in the story. Hopefully, you won't have to pay. It's in ad week. Uh, I know you're going to have to sign up for an yeah. account to read the story. You'll you have to do that. But 100 women, and she didn't reveal the gender. But in the language, you can only assume 
that they were men. How do you assault a woman over Zoom? And that's the power and privilege that men feel like they have over women and the right that they have to do that in their workplace. And it should be um, accepted. It's infuriating that that still happens. Yeah. Yeah. And let me tell you, you know, when, when I when I think about, you know, some of the uh, comments, like I'm actually scrolling through the article right now, I'm going to go to number 14, the n- number 14, it says my husband did nothing. She, she says the biggest challenge, the biggest challenge was focusing on work, meeting deadlines while virtually schooling a young child, running the household and all the errands, etc. I'm married currently, but my husband did nothing despite having a much more low pressure job with fewer hours. So listen, I'm not trying to be the marriage police because I know good and goddamn well, Uh, um, you know, listen, trust me. I know that the folks, the folks in my house would probably have some complaints about TL. I, I, I get it. I absolutely get it. I get it. Uh, but, but you ask yourself the question, like, when we are thinking about this thing called work, what is the challenge? What is it that we are missing? I don't know, Julie, can you see where I'm pointing on my head? Like the hypothalamus or something like that? I don't know the the parts Mm -hmm. of the brain, Mm -hmm. but like what is misfiring in people's brains that would make them just be uh, I don't even know the word. I don't even know. Okay, we'll go with awful. We'll go with awful. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with awful. I, I, mean, I mean, go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. Sorry, uh, we're we're figuring out this camera thing still. Um, I, I I mean, it's just one. If I talk to any one young woman ever, and I say this to my daughters and and to my son all the time, is pick your partner wisely. Pick your spouse wisely because they are one of the biggest influencers to the success of your career that more than anyone that you will ever work with will be is the choice of partners. And we're seeing women who have not had the support at home, right? So, I mean, sorry, I'm just stuck on the, my husband did nothing. Um, But the rest of it is, I think, you know, like my team is virtual. We've always been virtual. And there are times that I can see where we start to struggle with each other because we haven't been together. We haven't had cocktails. We haven't had happy hours. We haven't done these things because we really need to physically see each other every six months or so to keep that grumpiness at bay. But in the pandemic, we've even, you know, we as an all the time virtual team have made adjustments that we'll keep forever once a month happy hour, right? That we do together, team events that we do over Zoom that, you know, just are like the little things that keep us very human. And I think it's, you know, just like we see on message boards and everything else, it's so easy to get desensitized to the human that's on the other side of that camera, keyboard, what the hell ever. And people just get mean. And we've got to take We've got to take notice of it and we've got to manage it. it there's just no excuse for it. No, none. And so I, I wanted to bring the article up because, again, 
And this is not about being the biggest ally. You know, not this is not only because it's, you know, Women's History Month or we just celebrated International Women's Day. It's really about just as men. Let's just try to be better. You know, and I said us, let's let's us just let's just try to be better. You know, let's find ways to to be better. I think about, you know, Fairy Godboss's recent uh, study that came out on DNI. I think about an article that was in, uh, I think it was the New York Times or Wall Street Journal that said if we stayed on pace right now for pay equity, it would be 250 years before women would catch up. Wait a minute. Hold on for a second. Women are what, like 75 cent, 82 cent for, for a man's dollar? You mean tell me in and you can't close an 18 cent gap. <laughs> you, it's going to take you yep. two centuries. They can. They choose not to. Choose not to. So I, we share the article. Choose only not because, to. Yeah, we just, we just want you to be, just be better. Yeah, be just human. be better. I mean, just, just be better. Yes, yes. So um, look, oh, there's going to be. There's going to be an LGBT plus uh, at work online conference. Uh, it's happening on March 16th. Uh, you can get that over at DILeaders.com. Uh, again, D as in David, I as in Indigo, leaders.com forward slash LGBT conference. Uh, one more time, DILeaders.com forward slash LGBT conference. What's your name drop? Who's your name drop? So it is Meghan Markle because I really appreciate what she did for the community this week. However, since we talked about that, I will say go to Amazon, watch the documentary Feels Good Man. It's pretty eye-opening about a subculture that we've been kind of streaming around the sides of um, lately and I think is going to become more and more important to talk about as we bring people back to work. So feels good, man. It's $3.99 on Amazon. Just came out on Sundance um, last year. Worth worth your, worth your time. Yeah. Hey, and let me tell you, let's do it like this real, real, real slick with it. If you text me, I'm sorry, not text me. If you tweet me um, <laughs> that you are planning to watch it, I will send you a gift card to uh, Starbucks. So you can order yourself a coffee and watch the movie. Period. First three go. people. First three people that that tweet me, uh, and of course you got to tag Julie and Crazy and the King. Yep. But if you tag us, hashtag us, uh, I will buy three people coffee and pay your three ninety nine for you to watch it. I, I mean, it sounds like a pretty good deal. Hour and a half worth your time. Um, you can catch me on March eighteenth at the Unbiased Day twenty twenty one. Looks like a pretty awesome conference out of Sweden, but they will have an English version, which I will be a part of. So uh, that's all I got for this week, my friend. Absolutely, and I'm going to be uh, doing the closing keynote at HR Technology Conference next Friday, the nineteenth. Uh, I want to say at eleven a.m. is going to be fire. Fire. It's going to be fire. But for now, we're going to close out the show. When can I be prepared for something while secretly believing it will not happen? Said by Mr. Nelson Mandela. I close reminding each and every one of you to be a better human. Let's create better culture. 
better teams, better workplaces. For now, Jay and I are Ghost. See ya. So, Julie, I often tell people that there are four opportunities to overcoming an objection, the most powerful of which is before the objection happens. Have you ever heard of this concept? You're always teaching me new stuff, Torin. No, I haven't. Tell me more. So the acronym for me, and it's something that I used back in the 90s when I had my own sales team, the acronym is WNLB. Well, the B stands for before. And before any of you start to wonder which online system is best for payroll, let me share a few facts. Gusto is actually simple and easy, surprisingly easy and very fast. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. And three out of four customers take 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. I think that's easy. You can use our link, gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K for three complimentary months. Again, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.